You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Good morning, church. Everybody can find their seat. It's great to have all of you here this morning. I'm excited about uh, this service as we conclude this series on essence. I hope you've been learning something about the character of God and his attributes uh, because when we talk about essence, we investigate those kind of things. But uh, this morning, uh, we're grateful for all that God has done and what he's doing in our lives. And just wanted to share a couple of things with you before we get into the message. Uh, first of all, just thanking everyone for your participation last week with the Isaiah Saldivar meetings. Uh, we had a great time. We had some special services for those of you that weren't here but it was an engaging time, and I think everyone has or had an overwhelming sense that God was taking them deeper and further in their walk with him. So uh, it was great. I, I believe we've seen, we're seeing some good fruit. We're hearing some good reports of, of positive changes in people's lives. And, and see, our desire is really for people to come to refuge, or oh, I'll fix this, this a little better, right? and really have a genuine encounter with God in his presence. Because see, the God we serve really wants to reveal himself and make himself known so that you can experience his presence, his goodness, his love. And, and I, I believe that it's knowing, it's knowing that he wants to have a vital relationship with you because you are important to him. We need to know that. And many of you do know that. But if you don't know that, you need to know it. Um, so... Uh, there were great takeaways, and it's always encouraging to share with others what impacted your life when we have special meetings like that, or really any time we gather together as a, as a body of believers. Uh, I want to give congratulations uh, to Chris and Aria Redfield. Uh, they recently gave birth to Malachi. He's the youngest member of Refuge. So where are you guys at today? There's somewhere? Wave at me so I can see where you're at. Oh, right there. They usually sit there. I was thinking maybe you moved. Yeah, so that's Malachi. That's a, a strong name. There's a, a special anointing on that young man's life. So we're excited for you guys. Uh, now, this past Monday, I celebrated my 59th birthday. And um, yeah, and, and I, I thought of a concept. You know, have you ever heard of reverse mortgage? I'm trying to come up with something that's called reverse aging. And so, well, part of it comes by eating healthy, right? And, and we had a great time yesterday with uh, uh, Dr. Colton, and we had a, a meeting here, and health professionals, doctors from all over, even from Canada, gathered together for time, and it was uh, very, very encouraging and, and challenging. But so, thank you for serving and being a part of that, for those that volunteer to make that possible. We appreciate uh, those that are involved. You all are making a great difference. But turning 59, I, I just want to say thank you for all the gifts, for all the expressions uh, of love and appreciation towards me. Uh, there's sometimes, you know, I, I just sense an over, just the overwhelming uh, gratitude and, and thanks that's genuine from your heart. So appreciate that and all the gifts and all that. So, um, yeah. I wanted to share something. Most of you, many of you may be aware that Pastor Deb and Mackenzie and I traveled to Virginia uh, about a week and a half ago now, actually two weeks ago, 
And we were there a week with the Moy family. Uh, Feira, who was part of this congregation, and Ethan and their six children were part of this congregation for a period of time, and they moved and relocated to Virginia. Well, she passed away after a battle with colon cancer, and she finally got to a point where she was tired. She felt she had fought the good fight, but she was ready to go. And so uh, the family released her. She went home to be with Jesus, and, and we were just there to love on them, to help them, and walk them through the funeral arrangements. And so we just want you to uh, continue to keep them in your prayers. It's kind of a difficult and challenging time for them, as you can imagine. But uh, what we're going to do next week, we're going to have a book available that we're going to pass out. And you can see Pastor Deb, wave Pastor Deb, and uh, where you can write different things and thoughts to express encouragement to the family. And we're going to just send that to them, just as a, as a, a love gift from this body, letting them know how much we care. So, um, so you can be thinking about what you might write in that. And for those of you that knew Pharaoh, she was an amazing woman, incredible woman. She walked into the room and the place would light up. She was all about giving and, and seeing the needs of others met. And, and her children, each of them except the youngest, Noah, who's our godson, he's only six, they all shared at the eulogy. And it was so amazing just to hear the stories and, and how that mom made such an impact in the lives of her children. So we're going to really miss her. And, uh, but we know she's with Jesus. We have that hope, and we're comforted knowing that she's with Jesus. So um, I wanted to also announce that we're going to be starting a men's, uh, a men's meeting. We're starting a series called the Conquer Series, and we're going to establish a, a, a starting date for that. Uh, and we are thinking about doing it in the Saturday morning's men's fellowship, but if there's a better time for that in the evening, uh, where we could get more men to participate, we would consider uh, switching that. So uh, you could, uh, if you're interested, we'll get some more information out to you in the weeks to come about that. But it's a very dynamic series that will really be beneficial for every man. Okay, so good stuff. I do have some humor this morning. Do you want it, or should we just skip that part? <clears throat> okay, how many of you filed your taxes on time? You got through that season? I tell you, my, uh, I was sweating a little bit through that whole process, but I finally made it through. And I use TurboTax, and so I, when I press the send button, I'm thinking, okay, this better be right. And so um, we got a refund, so it must have worked out okay. But anyway, maybe you didn't get a refund. Sorry about that. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, question, how is golf like taxes? Well, you drive hard to get to the green, and then you wind up in the hole. And, uh, yeah. and then I came across this, children may be deductible. How many of you claim you know, that's, one of, that's a great deduction? You know, in the child tax credit, wonderful. That's, uh, now, when we had four kids, it was even greater, but at, living at home and under the age of 18, but uh, we love that tax credit. But children may be deductible, but they are still taxing. Yeah, but you love them anyway, right? Now, the present tax code is about 10 times longer than the Bible. Did you know that? A lot more complicated. And unlike the Bible, it's not good news. Okay, so. Uh, then tax reform, you heard of that? Well, that is simply taking taxes off of things that have already been taxed in the past 
and putting it on things that haven't been taxed yet. Okay, that's what tax reform is. Now, just to give you some facts about the IRS, and this is, this is not humor, this is just facts. I thought this would be uh, maybe informational for some of you. You can go home and tell you, your friends at work or something. Uh, go home and tell, whatever. Anyway, the IRS sends out 8 billion pages of forms and instructions each year. Laid end to end, they would stretch 28 times around the earth. That's a lot of paper. Nearly 300,000 trees are cut down yearly to produce the paper for all the IRS forms and instructions. American taxpayers spend over 200 billion and 5.4 billion hours working to comply with federal taxes each year, more than it takes to produce every car, truck, and van in the US. That's a lot of hours, a lot of time spent to do all that. And then the IRS employs, this is the final fact, 114,000 people, twice as many as the CIA and five times more than the FBI. So a lot of people that keep, keep that thing going. So yeah, now why did I share that? Hopefully not to depress you, because I, the, the best is yet to come. Uh, we, we are talking about God's essence. And, and there's so much that we can really cover on this subject. And, and to do it effectively in just four weeks or in one month, we do a great injustice to it. So we have simply scratched the surface to discover and explore the essence of God. Uh, we have already discovered that essence is the quality of something that determines its character. And when we consider essence when referring to a person, it refers to one's uh, character makeup. It refers to their attributes and so forth. Now, when we consider God's essence, we discover who he is and what he desires to do in our lives. See, God's essence is really his very nature. It's his very nature. And God's essence is revealed through his word, through the scriptures. The Bible speaks clearly about his character and his attributes. Now, the character of God, and I've, I've shared this from week to week because I, I think it needs to be stated. Uh, the character of God has often been misrepresented by those who claim to follow him. And, and that's a sad thing because people aren't getting an accurate message because so often they relate and think of God in terms to what they see in your life and the life of those who claim to be a Christian. And not everything done in the name of Christianity really reflects the true character of God. And so what we need to do at Refuge is purpose to accurately represent Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he does and not to misrepresent him. And see, that's, that's a conviction in my life. I do not want to be guilty of misrepresenting Jesus. And so that means I need to take issue with things in my life. Sometimes uh, different preferences may not align with the truth. And so, uh, or different desires may not align with what I see in the scripture. And so I take God's desires to substitute my own. I take his preferences to substitute my own. And see, there's a joy, there's a victory, there's something to that that allows our life to, to really live out this thing called Christianity, okay? Now, uh, we, we talked about this guy, guy named Zophar, the name, the Nathanite, or he's, that's hard to pronounce that name, 
Yeah, we, we'll just pass over that. He posed this question. He was one of Job's friends. He was supposed to be comforting him. And in chapter 11, verse 7 of Job, he said, can you discover the essence of God? Can you find out the perfection of the Almighty? That's the New English translation. I believe we can. I believe that we can discover the essence of God because it's revealed in his word. Now, today we're talking about belief and believing. What does it mean to believe? We're going to explore that, that word and that topic somewhat this morning. And what we want to do, in fact, let me just ask you this question. Is God believable? Is it worth believing in a God that we cannot see? Is it worth believing in a God that we cannot see? Now, in this series, we've, we've looked at God's mercy. We've looked at his grace. We looked at his love. We looked at his forgiveness. And last week with Isaiah, uh, Salvador, we began to, I believe, identify his essence at another level. And the question we're posing to you today, do we believe we can sing the song, we can recite the words, but do we really believe? And, and that song, This I Believe, really is a testimony. It's, it's a testimony of faith. It's a statement of faith, of, of what we as Christians embrace and believe. Uh, but we can say the words, but is it really heartfelt? Now, we're going to explore, as we explore this word believe, I want us to look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this reads in the English Standard Version, and this commandment, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. I thank you today for an opportunity to instruct, Father, this body of believers with truth that can help to build them up and encourage them in their walk with you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding and revelation and illumination of what we see in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now I believe, if we look at this passage, if we wanna bring that passage up one more time and just take another look at it. Uh, this is his commandment. Now, some people shrink back from God's commandments because they really don't understand the essence of, of his commandments. And we need to see a commandment of God as a statement to empower or to authorize us to do what we can't do in our own ability. So when God gives a command, if we respond to that command, that empowers us to fulfill it. And so we need to see it from that frame of mind. Now, we see here that Jesus gave us something to believe in. And not just to simply believe, but we see in this passage we're to, believe, we're to believe in the name of his son because the name of Jesus, his son, carries with it authority. The scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that the name of Jesus is above every name that's named, that every knee must bow, every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. There's no greater name in all the universe that has power and authority. And we see throughout scriptures that in his name, we can cast out devils. In his name, we speak with new tongues. In his name, we can heal the sick. Through his name, there's power released into the, into the earth to accomplish the will of God and the purpose of God. Now, it's interesting that the name of Jesus is not only uh, 
the most used name in all the earth, but it's the most abused name in all the earth. When was the last time when somebody cursed that they said, oh, Buddha, or oh, Muhammad? No, but they take the name of Jesus and use it in a derogatory fashion because they're upset as nothing more than a curse word. You need to understand that the enemy is trying to bring the name of Jesus to a place where it's treated as nothing more than a curse word. And that's wrong, okay? So that's why this passage is so interesting because the commandment we see that is given to us is that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And see, that, that command is followed. The belief has a purpose and a mission attached to it. And that mission and purpose is to love one another. If we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, then that will allow us to go the next step, and that is to express his love towards others. Okay? And so we see, see that clearly here. See, believing in his name is required to receive salvation and necessary for walking in love. And now that's, that should be understood by every Christian, that we have a mandate from heaven to walk in the love of God, to display his love before humanity. And see, we, the church in part has often failed at doing that. And so that's why we need to do it here at Refuge. We need to do it so that this community begins to recognize more and more that this body of believers here knows how to love like Jesus loves, okay? So, moving on here, I just um, wanted to share with you, ask you maybe this question, ask you this question, what is the basis or foundation of what you believe? Is what you believe consistent with what the scriptures teach? See, unless you establish God's word as final authority in your life, you will struggle with your belief system. You will always struggle with your belief system because there's a lot of other belief systems and uh, mentalities out there that you will maybe consider or gravitate unless you come to a point where you say, this book, the Bible, God's word, is the final authority. Now, you might say, uh, let me just say this, until you have read the Bible and studied the Bible, don't form an opinion about the Bible. Because so many people have opinions about the Bible, and you know, and I'll question them. You know, if they make something about the Bible, I said, have you read it? Have you studied it? Every time they say no. And so my challenge is read it, and don't just read it casually. Study it, and then form an opinion, okay? In fact, it will establish the opinions that you possess in your life. Because... There's no other book like it. And actually, at some point, I want to minister a message on the credibility of, of the Word of God and in the Bible because I think that would be enlightening for a lot of people. Now, the word believe, the word believe and faith is most often interchangeable and inseparable. So, in fact, if, if you see the word believe, if you see the word faith, you can actually interchange those words every, throughout the scripture and, and you're not taking anything away from that passage because those two words are so closely you, uh, knit together and tied together so the essence of faith is to believe 
It is trusting God in the face of impossibilities. Okay? It is trusting God in the face of impossibilities. Now, how often is believe mentioned in the Bible? Well, it's actually found 256, in 256 verses in the English Standard Version, which I have right here. Uh, there's 36 in the Old and 222 in the New Testament. Faith is found 475 times in 475 verses of this Bible, 179 in the Old and 296 in the New. So this subject we're talking about today, it, it's in here a lot. It's talked about a lot. So um, believe means to trust in, to rely upon, and to adhere to. So if you believe you're putting your trust in something, you're putting your reliance upon it, and you're adhering to it like you would glue something together so that it sticks together. And so, uh, actually, I think this is Webster's Dictionary. I, I think it is, okay? Um, it says, to accept something as true, feel sure of the truth of. That's how it defines it. To be convinced by, trust, have confidence in, consider uh, truthful or to consider honest. It, it has those connotations as well. Now the Hebrew word for believe is the word a man, A-M-A-N, and it means to confirm, to support, to put your weight on. Um, for example, all of you have incredible faith right now in the chairs you're sitting in because I don't see anybody nervous right now thinking, is this chair going to support my weight? Is it going to collapse under me? Have you ever sat in the chair that collapsed under you? It's not pleasant. That happened to me. We, you know, you get these little plastic chairs, these long yard chairs, and, and uh, you know, they, they get out there in the weather, and they sit out there through the winter, through the summers, and they become brittle. And so uh, one time I just happened to sit in one, and one of the legs just cracked and fell, and <laughs> to the ground I went. And thankfully, there weren't too many people around to notice that and to laugh at me. But, you know, that's, that's a, a horrible feeling to sit down and all of a sudden your support is going out from under you. But for me to come over here and to sit down in this chair and to have total confidence and trust that this chair is going to support my way, that's really the essence of what it means to believe. That's what faith is to trust, to rely, to put your weight on something. And so when we convey that to the, to the Lord that we serve, to the God of heaven and to the truth of the Bible, we're simply putting our weight on it. We're trusting it. This is going to hold us up. This is going to support our lives, okay? Now, we see an individual in the Bible who has been accredited with a very unique title. And this man is called Abraham. He is known and called the father of of our faith, okay? And really, he's the father of our faith because he's an example of a man who demonstrated faith and belief in a way that is set for all of us to follow. In fact, we see in Hebrews 11:8, by faith, Abraham obeyed God. He, he obeyed God. In Romans 16, it says that Abraham is the father of us all, the father of our faith. In Genesis 15, 6, the scripture tells us, and he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His belief was considered 
something that made him righteous. Now, what does righteous mean? Righteous means right standing with God. It put him in the place where he was in right standing with God. Okay? And, and that's a place we all want to be, right? We see Abraham. I'm, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Abraham just for a couple of moments. This was a guy that believed God at the age of 75. He didn't have any children. He began to worship the one and true God. And God gave him a promise that his sons would outnumber, that if he could number the stars in heaven or the, the grains of, of the seashore, that his descendants would outnumber that. That he could, in other words, he couldn't even count how many descendants he'd have. But there was one problem. He didn't have any children. And his wife was barren. She was unable to conceive. But God gave him a promise that he would have a son. And so uh, we see in Romans chapter 4, uh, God giving that promise, starting at verse 17, says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now think about this. He doesn't have any children. And God already is stating, I've made you the father of many nations. He's saying, okay, God, something's not right here because I don't have any children. My wife's barren. Don't you know that? And how can this be? But see, you need to understand that God sees the end from the beginning. He sees the outcome. And so uh, he could see what was going to be accomplished through Abraham's life. And so, and that's what faith is. It sees beyond right now. It sees the future. It sees the promise. It sees the fulfillment. It sees the end, okay, from the beginning. And so it says, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. See, he believed this promise. He believed a God who told him that, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Wow. That's what God does. He calls, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's pretty powerful. And that's really faith, the essence of faith at work. In verse 18, it says, in hope, he believed against hope. In other words, the odds were against him. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He was fully convinced, even though he looked at the natural evidence and it didn't make sense. I mean, he got this promise at 75. He's 100 now. I mean, the chances of him conceive, conceiving with his wife, having a, a child is even more remote than it was when he was 75. But yet, he gave glory to God because he believed more in the promise than the natural circumstances that he was dealing with. So often, we look at the nat natural circumstance and we don't see beyond that. We're stuck right there. We lose sight on the impossible, on, on what God can do to make what's impossible possible, okay? So I want to share with you three things that we can say about belief. Three things that we can say about belief. And as we tie in this story, we see that Abraham, 
set this example for us as a man who believed God in spite of what seemed totally impossible. It didn't make sense to him, but yet he trusted God anyway because he believed what God had said. And really, that's what faith is. It's taking God at his word, believing what he said. So the first thing we can say about belief is it's the only thing he asks of you, yet it affects everything. It's the only thing he asks of you. Believe. Believe. Will you believe? We see a story in, in the Gospels. There's, uh, it's actually in a couple of the Gospels of a man who was a, a leader of the synagogue and a ruler of the synagogue. And his daughter had gotten sick. And so he heard that Jesus was healing the sick. So he sent servants out to, to get Jesus, and he went out to, to find Jesus. And, and they find Jesus, and, and, and he tells Jesus the story. So Jesus comes with him. And then a servant runs up and says, don't bother, Jesus, she's dead. So his daughter was not only sick, but now she died. Can you imagine hearing that report, thinking, okay, here's the healer. He's healed the sick. I'm bringing Jesus to my daughter so she can be healed, but now it's too late. But let's look at Mark chapter 5, verse 36, and see what happened. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler, and the announcement was just said, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the master. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Only believe. You know, fear is what opposes our faith. It's the greatest enemy of faith. Fear will destroy faith. In fact, if we had two spectrums, like on one end is fear and the other end is faith, you're either moving in faith or you're moving towards fear. And, and see, uh, they're, they're totally opposed or on opposite spectrums of, of, of each other. And so that's, God wants you to, to move in faith and trust him. Um, in Luke 8.50, we see this same story in Luke but Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So Jesus gives him hope of a promise. Now it's dead. It seems like it's all over, but he said, she's going to be well if you believe. And so there was something he was required to do. What was it that he's required to do? Believe, to trust God that God could do a miracle. Now in life or death situations, it's our only option to believe. And just as with Abraham, because he had run out of op options. Uh, so all he could do was believe God because there was no other option. You might be in that situation. There's no other option but believe God because there's no hope. There doesn't seem to be any way out of your situation except to believe God. Hebrews eleven six. I love this passage. It says, but with Without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's an interesting verse. We could also say it this way, with faith, it's possible to please God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to please God. I want to please, do you want to please God? I want to be pleasing to him. Yeah. Well, faith is what pleases him. And now, 
the scripture goes on to say how we walk that out. It says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Okay? You believe that he exists. That's a starting point. You must believe that he exists. He is. He's real. He's true. He's not a figment of some imagination. He's not something made up to appease, you know, man's need, man's need in some fashion. Um, he's real. He's alive. He's well, okay? And then it goes on to say, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So not only believing he exists, but believing that he wants to reward you. He wants to bless you. He wants to do something impactful in your life. So many people have the concept that God is out to get him. No, he's out to bless you because he wants to reward you because he loves you, all right? Faith is the ability to receive, or we could say it's our believing ability. Your faith is the ability to receive what you uh, maybe don't have right now. And faith is a way that we can live in this limited life in an unlimited way. And one way faith can take the limits off because it makes impossible things possible. Okay? And James, okay, actually, we understand that there must be corresponding action to what you believe or your faith is dead or useless. And, and we see in James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, uh, James is stating, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So we see that faith just by itself, you know, there's a corresponding action or reaction to faith when you have it. If it's, I mean, if you're truly believing, there will be some reaction in your life to that belief, okay? And so, number two, we're going to move along here. There's more I could say on that last one. Number two, to believe is not just a one-time event. It is a constant frame of mind. You know, that's why we're called believers. See, at times we may have doubts, but they don't have to rule our lives. Yeah, I have doubts, I have fears. These things come, but I'm a believer. And so I confront those fears, I confront those doubts with the truth. And they don't stay around. So you can't take a break or time off or a vacation from believing. Just think about, oh, I'm going to take a break. I've been believing a long time now. I'm just going to take a break from believing. I don't need to believe for the next week. I don't need to believe for the rest of the day. I'm just going to take time off. No, you, you can't do that. It's a constant thing. You're believing. You're a believer. You're, you're believing all the time, okay? Uh, I love what Second uh, Timothy three fourteen says. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have been, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. In other words, continue in it what you've learned, learned and firmly believed. See, faith is to believe what you do not see. Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. That's a quote by St. Augustine. 
That's pretty amazing. Now, people believe in crazy things. What do you really believe? Belief systems shape people's lives and direct and govern their decisions in life. It will either mess them up or build them up. In Matthew 21, we see in verses 21 and 22, Jesus is teaching on faith, and he's, he's talking about this and what the potential is for believing him and trusting him. So Jesus, starting in verse 21, says, answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, and, and what he did, he cursed this fig tree. There weren't figs on it. Maybe Jesus had just a bad day, so he curses the fig tree, okay? And I have to tell you, I cursed the tree one time, and I, I felt bad about it because it died. Yeah, the, the neighbors planted a roll of trees along the border, and it was kind of, you know, I, I just, maybe, I just, I just had that, in the name of Jesus, I cursed that tree. And it died. And I thought, oh, I, I felt bad because, uh, they had to replace it, and I know it cost them money. And so I, maybe it was, you know, a warranty. Some trees, you know, you got one year, if it dies, they'll replace it for free if you go to Lowell's, you know. So um, not adv advertising Lowell's either, uh, but it's, it's a good place, and they have a good return policy anyway. I, I've taken some stuff in there that was pretty nasty, you know. <laughs> it didn't make it the first year. Oh, yeah, here's a new one. Okay, okay. So... <laughs> anyway, but if also, if you say to this mountain, now he's relating to something bigger than a tree, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. Verse 22, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So Jesus is basically taking the limitations off of our believing ability. He said, if you can believe it, you can have it. Wow. That, that's pretty powerful. I mean, when you read that, you, it's hard to uh, read into that something other than what it actually says. You can take it literal. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, of course, you have to ask in faith and you have to ask in line with his word. You can't ask for things that would bring sin or, you know, I mean, uh, if you're acting contrary to the principles of truth, then it won't work. But if you're operating within the principles of the word, then it will work. Then finally, number three, there's no salvation without believing, but it's what you believe in that matters concerning salvation. So you won't get saved. Eternal life will not come to you unless you believe. Some people think just because they go to church, that's enough. They're fulfilling an obligation. They're doing their part. But there's something more. They have to believe. You have to believe. Now, it's what you put your faith in that you must consider, or better yet, who you put your faith in. You put your faith in the person, the person of Jesus. In Acts 16, verses 30 and 31, we see the story of Paul, uh, he gets thrown in prison, him and Silas, because he get, got in trouble. They were preaching gospels. This demon-possessed girl got saved, and people didn't like that, so they got angry. They had him arrested, thrown in prison. And so he's in prison, and he starts worshiping God. They started having a worship service in prison. They're, they're chained up against the wall. They're in stocks, you know. 
not the ones at Wall Street, but, you know. And, you know, after being beaten, I'm sure they didn't feel like worshiping God, but they did anyway. And as they started singing God's praises, the Bible says the prisoners heard them. And all of a sudden, there was an earthquake. But it was a, a different kind of earthquake. The place was shook, and all the chains and all the j- jail cells burst open. And the jailer comes in thinking, okay, everybody's escaping, and he's ready to kill himself because he knew that's what would happen if anyone escaped anyway. So might as well end it right now. And Paul stopped him. And he said, we're all here. And God had moved. There was an encounter with God in that prison house. And this jailer, he knew that this was supernatural. This was God visiting that jailhouse. And this is what he said in verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. See, if you truly believe in Jesus, there's going to be evidence in your life. And, and, and see, he believed, and, and then he took care of Paul and Silas that went home, and they washed his wounds and took care of him. And, and um, you know, we could, you know, the rest of the story is a good one, okay? Romans 10, 9, and 10, we see this passage that's so amazing in the Scripture. In verse 9, in Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we see a confession of the mouth. Now, what is this confession? It's simply saying, Jesus is Lord. I declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. That, along with a belief in your heart, is what is required to be saved believe and confess with your mouth. It goes on to say, for with the heart one believes and is justified. Well, actually, let me, I I missed a part of this. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe that Jesus actually lived? Do you believe that Jesus actually died for our sins? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead after being in the tomb for three days? Verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus just wants you to believe him. He wants you to believe that he's real. That he exists and he will make himself real to you when you put your faith and trust in him in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 the scripture reads and there is salvation in no one else for there is no one there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved we must be saved the only other option is going to hell. And you know, hell is something that people think, ah, there's no such place as hell. You know, I wouldn't take a chance on that. Because if Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven, it must be a real place. 
but it's a place that he doesn't want anyone to go to. That's why he died for us. That's why he became a sacrifice for our sins. And if we understand, because people think, well, how could Jesus' death save my life? It's understanding that the scripture tells us in Adam all died. We all came under judgment. We all came under spiritual death. We all came under the nature of sin that messed us up. But Jesus came to turn that all around because he died as a substitute for us in our place. He was the perfect sacrifice. And you know, you don't have to know how it all works and figure it out. You just have to believe and trust. You know, when I sit down on that chair and put all my weight on it, I don't have to look at how it's been engineered and know the weight limits and all the details about why that chair will support my weight. I just have to believe, yeah, it's going to support my weight. Jesus will save you because he's the Savior. Will you put your trust in him? And this morning, I want you to take a moment and bow your heads. And I want you to think about your life and where you stand right now with God. Maybe you haven't ever really given your heart to Him. Maybe you haven't really surrendered to Him. Maybe you haven't done what we saw as we read in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, that we would be saved. Do you believe that? Are you willing to confess that? Are you willing to turn from sin that maybe has dominated your life and controlled you and turn to Jesus to give your heart and life to Him? It's a surrender. It's a belief in Him that causes you to give yourself to Him. He died in your place as a substitute. He took your sin so that He could give you His righteousness. He forgives us of anything we've ever done wrong so that you and I can stand before God as if we never sinned. That's the beauty of what he did for us on the cross. If you're here and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know that I'm ready to meet Jesus if I were to die. I don't know that my life is right with God, but I'm ready and willing to receive him today. If that's you, lift your hand. We're going to pray in just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Let's join our faith together. We're going to pray this prayer. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and you should have. Well, you can pray this prayer. And it's a simple prayer to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life, to believe in Him, to put your trust in Him, to rely upon Him, to look to Him. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father. I open my heart to you. Help me to believe and to put my faith in Jesus. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you today as the one who came into this world to die for my sins. 
I believe that you were raised from the dead to give me new life. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I receive you now. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from every evil thing. Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.